Welcome to the Buddha Belly Life Podcast, empowering purpose, mind to microbiome, a mind-body-soul approach to life, starting with your gut. Join me, Coach Britt, as I interview top wellness entrepreneurs and microbiome science geeks, and together we mastermind a bucket list kind of life while building the ultimate vessel to live it in. Welcome to your Buddha Belly Life. Don't forget to take notes. Hey guys, welcome to the Buddha Belly Life Podcast. I'm Coach Britt, and we are in session two of our um, our month's focus uh, called Overgrown, which is all about bacteria overgrowth, specifically SIBO um, and gut bacteria and what this looks like and the prevalence and how it's just affecting so many people. And again, we are joined today by Tracy Merritt, Regional Account Manager and Functional Medicine Consultant with Microbiome Labs. Uh, she shared a bit about her story and journey in health and wellness and with SIBO on our last session. So if you haven't caught that yet, you can go back and find it. Um, and today, I know that she she kind of probably got your wheels turning a little bit about how SIBO actually happens, how these overgrowths actually happen, which we didn't get divulge completely into. Um, but she's going to, we're going to go more into that in today's session. And so I'm really excited. So welcome back, Tracy. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me again, Brittany. Yeah. So today, um, I want to take off, I want to start a little bit where we left off before. So if you, if you're new to this one, we've been talking about SIBO. SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, something that after a year of struggling with symptoms, Tracy finally realized that she was dealing with. Um, and it takes a lot to figure that out because it's not something that's just easily understood in conventional medicine practice. Um, and, it can produce a variety of symptoms that look really similar to so many other things, right? So yes. pr- the prevalence of it though is just so huge. So I'm, are you aware at all, Tracy, is there any like stats or things that you can give us on kind of how many people may actually be struggling with this? Yeah, so uh, what some of the science is showing is that If you think of all the people who have either been diagnosed with IBS at some point, like we were talking last week, the the catch-all phrase, right, or the catch-all diagnosis, um, or if you've ever felt yourself just like you have it, about 50 to 70% possibly could be having SIBO type symptoms. Um, And whether it's a full diagnosis of SIBO yet, or the condition is starting to occur. Um, So it's a very high prevalence. Yeah. And, and it affects, you know, like we talk about the, the gut affects everything. So it's going to affect, it affects your brain. It's going to affect your mood, anxiety, depression, inflammation, skin issues, like you talked about, yeah. um, it, you know, all kinds of stuff. Can you tell us a bit about like how we know just gut issues in general, but especially SIBO, some of the symptoms that can show up in people, how, what they showed up in what you dealt with, like, what did that look like? How did you you know, what were the pieces yeah. of the puzzle you started putting together that other people might look out for? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so some of the symptoms that you might suspect you have SIBO is excessive gas, not just your typical, but excessive gas, uh, bloating after eating and an, a significant amount of time after eating. So some people might say, as soon as I start to eat, I bloat. Well, technically the food has not had time to reach even the small intestine yet. That's at about 90 minutes. Um, so if it's kind of that like hour, hour and a half after eating, you feel like you're starting to bloat, you might get a couple of months pregnant looking. Um, also some things could be IBS. So, uh, 
con- diarrhea versus constipation and back and forth. Um, I felt like my food was sitting in my chest, like it just would not digest this heaviness. Um, that is going to be something else. And then, like you said, skin conditions. I mean, there's a huge list of symptoms, but food sensitivity is going to be another big one. And then uh, nutrient deficiency, because as this small intestine becomes inflamed with this bacterial overgrowth, we can't absorb our nutrients as well into the, the gut lining when there, there's inflammation there. Mm-hmm. And so... The thing is, is, is that I think a lot of people too, especially if they've struggled with levels of this or if it's gradually gotten, get, gotten worse. Um, like everything, I think a lot of people may just get comfortable living with discomfort and Absolutely. not really realizing that how bloated they are isn't normal until they finally aren't. Like when we put someone yeah. kind of on a, like a protocol for a while, um, and we get them doing, you know, pulling some foods out for a while on, on, on a, you know, food removal plan and things like that all of a sudden they're like whoa like I mean they feel like they lost 20 pounds because they just yeah. they're not so bloated because they've been so used to it and so, so I like learning our bodies and listening to our bodies like my husband always say that he thinks I'm like I, I read into things too much and I'm like it's because I had I struggled with so many things in my life that I learned that my body was this amazing communicator. I've never just been like, oh, just give it a pill and make that thing go away because I'm like, that thing is telling me something. Yes. So if your skin is out of whack, if you're, you know, you're super bloated after you eat food, um, strategic, do you, are there, were there certain foods that bothered you more than others or that you noticed with people that are struggling with SIBO? Absolutely. And two other, uh, just symptoms that might be on people's radar as well. And it doesn't always mean SIBO, but be cautious of it is going to be heartburn and reflux. Uh, so, or diagnosed with GERD because again, as that bacteria is fermenting, it's going to cause that gas. And for some people it's the bloat or the, the flatulence. Um, but otherwise it's coming back up. It's actually pushing up on the esophagus and can cause some of that heartburn or reflux. But um, yes, foods, absolutely. Um, if you're not familiar with what FODMAP or FODMATE, I'm sorry, we just launched a product called FODMATE. So my brain is yeah. saying uh, the product. So, yeah, well, so FODMAP foods. So do explain those a little bit if you can to people. I don't know yeah. if you know what it stands for. I can't remember what it stands for. I just always remember what they are. Yeah. <laughs> FODMAP foods. It's F-O-D-M-A-P. Yeah, fermentable oligosaccharides, monosaccharides, and it it goes on. So it's all these different types of, uh, yeah. Um, And basically, it's fermentable carbohydrates. So uh, things like onions, garlic, broccoli, uh, any type of cruciferous vegetables, uh, artichokes, asparagus, all these foods that are so good for us. But when you've got- Basically prebiotic food for our good bacteria, which stinks. There are, which is wonderful if it's getting fermented in the the, uh, large intestine. But when there's that overgrowth in the small intestine, they're going to use that for fuel And it's starting to be fermented in the small intestine instead of the large intestine. And there's a specific reason why that's happening. And that is because the motility of the rate at which the food is being digested has slowed down. And we can talk about why that is. Uh, And so instead of it making through to the large intestine to be fermented, it's fermented upstream and they're getting all those symptoms now. So, yeah. And, and, 
So when you're eating these high FODMAP foods, which are a lot of healthy foods, and when people have IBS or, you know, they're diagnosed with IBS, like we talked about before, uh, they're told to just go on a low FODMAP diet, right? And the big yeah. problem with that is, okay, it's maybe it works a little bit for symptoms in the moment, but unfortunately, the high FODMAP foods are some of the consist of a lot of really great necessary nutritious foods that feed our gut bacteria and make our gut healthier and so and and what are I watch people you know and they're like I can't eat that because I have IBS but they can eat like white flour Mm -hmm. garbage and they can eat so it's like anything that's telling you not to eat real food and these foods because it it won't affect you as bad um I get it if like you're gonna you're on vacation and you're just trying to get by for a few days, but we gotta figure out how to change this so that you can eat the food that feeds your microbiome and makes you a healthy person, right? Yes. And that's so, what's really interesting with the newest science around SIBO is we've all become so consumed about the symptoms of, mm-hmm. of reducing the gas and reducing the bloat. And while absolutely we want to do that for um, just to make people feel better, that's actually not the the SIBO is a secondary condition to something bigger happening. And we really need to address the bigger issues happening and the bloat and the gas and the uh, any maybe abdominal pain and GERD, those will start to go away as we address the bigger picture, which is what's the microbiome. Causing, yeah, of what's causing the bacteria to be, ex- you know, over overpopulating in the small intestine. So mm-hmm. go back a little bit. So in episode one, you gave us a little tidbit, a little taster, I guess, of how SIBO is happening and what we've thought. Because mm-hmm. I know until now, every and and even in in some of the research we had done a few you know years ago and stuff, it was like, oh well, if you eat a lot of refined sugar, um, you know, you're you're just you're feeding the bacteria there in the small intestine, which is true. I mean, they will thrive off refined sugars and stuff. So, um, yeah. But there, so explain a little bit about what we used to think caused SIBO and what science is now starting to show, especially since you're connected to so many movers and shakers and the new, um, in the cutting, like real cutting edge area of science. Explain a little bit of that. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Karan Kirshnan, our founder, he has been diving into SIBO a ton and all the research. And so, um, he has, found many different things as a lot of the functional medicine uh, doctors out there are realizing is we used to only think that SIBO occurred when the ileocecal valve, which, you know, uh, is this little barrier with a flap that will open and close, that the large intestinal flora has migrated up into the small intestine where it shouldn't be. And it's an overgrowth of actually good bacteria. So it's an issue of just the flap allowing bacteria period up there. Yep. Now, and that still can happen, but this condition is way too prevalent for that to be happening to all these people. And so then we started to realize, okay, food poisoning is very interesting. And it's not any... for every person, if you have had food poisoning and a lot of these symptoms have not started for you, it's not going to be 
anytime you get it, now you have SIBO. But for some people like Campylobacter, which can be a bacteria that causes food poisoning, they can actually paralyze the nerves in the gut. And as you talk so much about, Brittany, is that gut-brain connection and the vagal nerve, which tells our brain to move the food through at an adequate rate, that connection can get messed up. And now the food is going to not be moving through. It'll be a little bit slower. Now things start to ferment and putrefy in the stomach. And then they're sitting too long in the small intestine. Yep. So, So those were two. And then now there's a third one that I mentioned briefly at the end of the last episode was the oral microbiome and how that could be playing a a large role. And so explain a little bit about the oral microbiome because that's new too. And I always wonder, I always wonder too, whenever we make a connection with the gut, which comes first, the chicken or the egg, just like the gut brain connection to say just the gut comes first and affects the brain. And not, no, we know the brain also affects the gut, excessive stress and trauma and things like that paralyze. They cut off blood circulation in the gut and make it again, that paralysis, you know, Mm -hmm. how many of us eat while running around? Like dinners are so stressful at my house that I literally (laughs) have started telling my husband, I will sit and eat with my family, but some nights I might just like eat before you all eat so that I can digest my food right or else, because I feel like it affects my, I don't have the stomach acid (laughs) to eat dinner with my family. (laughs) It's so explain true. a little bit more on that. On that yes, absolutely. Piece. Yeah. So the oral piece is just in these last couple of years, we're realizing how much the oral microbiome, so the microbes that live in our mouth, good and bad, are playing a role in many, many different health conditions. And SIBO is one of them. So if you consider we're swallowing down gallons of saliva a day, We've got some checks and balances that are going to prevent the bad bacteria in the mouth from getting and uh, colonizing in the small intestine. And so one of those is going to be hydrochloric acid that you were mentioning that helps us digest protein and just overall digest our food and then bile as well. And both of those have very antimicrobial properties so that when we're eating, it's killing off any of those pathogens, the bad guys, as they're getting swallowed down. And where do those exist? Like the hydrochloric acid and the, you know, because we know the bile is like in our gut. Is the acid also mainly in our gut or is there a part of it that's happening in our mouth that's not killing, helping with our bacteria in our our oral bacteria? Yeah. So the digestion definitely starts in the mouth with, well, first with the brain really to get the saliva going and all those good enzymes. Um, and then things start to occur in the stomach. So we're producing that hydrochloric acid as it's going through, but in the stomach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of us struggle with low stomach. I mean, even me, I, I would eat so clean and everything. And I realized that stress had was such a big culprit to any gut issues I had, especially while pregnant um, and being pregnant through the pandemic and combining an eight person family with a new baby. I mean, it was just nuts and yeah. everything was just kicking up. And I was like, well, gosh, you know, maybe it's because I'm not absolutely immaculate with my diet here or there. Right. And you have to realize that this stress state that we're in is just as impactful, I think, as the dietary parts of what we're doing and it affects our ability to digest our food properly and this paralysis thing putting us at a such a substantial increased risk of overgrowth issues like that so that's super interesting yeah because um if you think about the prevalence of constipation in today's society i mean it is 
that's not something we all talk about with each other often, right? But um, that's something we as health coaches and uh, in the functional medicine talk about all the time. That tells us a lot. Yes. And sometimes constipation, yeah, is just coming from stress, but also not digesting our food well. And like you said, the paralysis, if we're stressed or we're uh, driving or um, watching TV or walking around while we're eating, the blood flow is not going to the digestive tract. It is going to elsewhere. So the food will sit and begin to putrefy. And then that's where conditions like SIBO can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and then amazing. there's another huge piece of the puzzle that I, I know you talk with your listeners a lot about, but it's a leaky gut, right? And so when we talk about that gut brain connection, uh, just the audience, don't forget that when there's those holes in the gut lining and there's leaky gut, there's something that occurs when we eat, we release something called lipopolysaccharides, but the short term is just LPS. Um, it's something that, again, we release every time we eat, but it should stay in in should not be getting into the bloodstream. It should just stay in the gut. And as soon as that LPS can get into the bloodstream, because somebody has leaky gut, it can travel. And we're finding that the LPS is a piece of the puzzle of SIBO because once it gets into the bloodstream, it can travel to joints and cause inflammation. It can travel up into the brain. Um, They're finding that potentially Alzheimer's and Parkinson's have an LPS connection, but SIBO as well, because it will lodge itself into the base of the brainstem, inflame that the vagal nerve, the dorsal vagal complex is what we call it. uh, And then it's going to slow your motility. So again, it's this- Motility is your, you know, the the digestive process of food and elimination, right? Yep. At the rate which your food goes through the digestive tract. So um, it all comes full circle. Definitely. This is amazing. You guys, this Tracy, this has been so jam packed. I hope you guys take notes on all this. And in the next episode or the next session with Tracy, we're going to dive a little bit back into her story a little bit on how, what she did about her SIBO, how she has, you know, gotten where she is now. We're going to talk about um, antibiotics, probiotics, anti-life, pro-life, um, and a few other things. And, you know, what to look for in some of these things. So if you're struggling with something like this, this is going to give you some excellent insight as to where to go from here. So thank you, Tracy. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us in this week's Buddha Belly Life podcast. For more episodes, coaching resources, and gut programs, visit BuddhaBellyLife.com. Don't forget to put us in your schedule for next week. And remember, keep showing up and enjoy the journey.